Hi, it's Lisa. Welcome back to The Healing Path, a podcast created to connect our broken hearts as we journey into honest conversations about grief and loss in our daily lives. Following the deaths of two of my children, I struggled for many years to fill the holes in my heart. I felt like I tried everything, prayer, meditation, therapy, coaching, reading, journaling, you name it. Plus, I tried a few less productive approaches. And after two decades of continuing to grieve, it occurred to me that maybe I'd set the wrong goal. Instead of trying to feel better by filling those painful voids, I've learned that building a life around them is a much more worthy target. A major part of this approach is talking openly about what my grief is like instead of keeping it to myself. With this newfound permission to let all the parts of me be here, I feel more human and less like a robot on autopilot. So I created the Healing Path podcast with the hope that sharing our stories in a mutually compassionate environment will help us to stop working so hard to hide our scars from ourselves and others and start wearing them proudly as the medals of love that they are. So thank you for joining this episode of the Healing Path. Today, I'm chatting about a post called VIP, and this is from July of 2021. VIP. In 1997, we literally lived at Children's Hospital in Washington, D.C. Alexis, our only daughter, whom we lost in September of that year, was admitted in February after we went for a doctor appointment. Although she tried to survive outside of that hospital world with nursing care, technology, and all the medical accommodations that we could make, her fragile body always knew how to tell us our short time at home was up. I recall one of our longest admissions to be somewhere in the neighborhood of nine consecutive weeks. Alexis was living either in the infectious disease unit, that was the orange floor, (laughs) or the hemonc unit, that was the yellow floor. I remember these days from over 20 years ago as if I were there right now. Painful, overwhelming, sleep-deprived, and petrified. Early one morning, I was stumbling to the cafeteria to score myself some caffeine before Alexis awoke in her hospital crib. She was rarely comfortable enough to sleep for any duration of continuous time. Since so many moms had told me to, quote, sleep in your baby sleeps, unquote, I knew I had a limited window to catch some Z's. But the thought of starting any day, let alone one in that environment, without my tea, (laughs) seemed worse than the sleep deprivation that would ensue when I got up early enough to sneak downstairs before Alexis awoke. On this particular day, the environment was different. There was always a steady buzz of activity, from folks keeping the place clean to doctors and nurses and students and families and a million other (laughs) characters. The hospital is not a quiet place, which is contrary to what we may think. But on this day, it was even busier than usual. An organized bustling (laughs) seemed to be happening. I returned to Alexa's room where I received a visitor. She was one of the administrators we'd gotten to know during our time there. She knocked quietly on the door, and when she entered, she said, We have a VIP coming to the hospital today. 
He will be making some rounds and would like to meet some of our patients and families. Is this something that you'd consider being a part of? (laughs) I quickly reviewed in my mind's calendar all the fun things I had to look forward to that day. In parentheses, I wrote in capitals, N-O-T, not. (laughs) And without hesitation, I replied to the administrator, absolutely. I pulled out a clean (laughs) sleep and wear outfit, thank you Chico's for the traveler's line, and quickly showered in the very small patient bathroom. Bright-eyed and bushy-tailed, I waited for the next signs of the mystery to unfold. I also called Alexis's dad, who joined us later that morning. The energy infused in the environment was palpable. Seemed there was a pep in the steps of all who had been tasked with tidying up, brightening up, cleaning up the unit. Folks were a little bit more chatty, a little bit more smiley, and there was some kind of morale boost that washed over everyone, patients and hospital staff. Later that day, in walked the then Vice President of the United States, Al Gore. My first impression was, wow, he is built. (laughs) I don't know if it was the deprivation of living in a hospital, or I later learned that he had a bulletproof vest on. (laughs) So yeah, I guess that can also improve a person's physique. But VP Gore was very kind. He was attentive And he spent around 10 minutes with us, making small talk and posing for some photo ops. He signed a Winnie the Pooh book that had been gifted to Alexis by her auntie and addressed a short message to Alexis in the book. We thanked him for coming, and the VP and his large entourage moved on. Rarely have I been so bum-rushed with the dichotomy of excitement this really was a big deal after living there. And so the dichotomy of excitement and the hollow, helpless, overwhelming feeling of despair when they all left. It was like being on a roller coaster. I'm even just now physically impacted as I recall the memory. And I can only share what my next thought was, which hopefully captures what I would fe- was feeling. And it's this, quote, Even the vice president of the USA can't save Alexis, unquote, and he couldn't. So thanks for joining this episode of The Healing Path. Yeah, this is a tough one. And interestingly enough, um, I noted in the post as I wrote this about a year ago that I was physically reacting. And again, I'm physically reacting to this because I remember it so very clearly. Um, I don't know. It's something about... Even the vice president can't save our girl. And it was true. And it just, I don't know. I think as young people, I'll speak for myself, as a young person, I just always had this sense of, you know, the world is an okay place. And, you know, I could find my way, whatever that was. And it wasn't all rainbows and butterflies, but, you know, life was a good place. The world is a safe place. And um, for the most part, we can protect ourselves and, and do good and, make it better than when we got here. Um, and in that year that that we lost Alexis, I changed my mind. Uh, not to say that there isn't all of that goodness in the world, but this idea that, you know, somebody or something or somehow, some way, the day would be saved and Alexis would live. 
when that never happened, I I lost, you know, some of my hope and I've worked really hard to get it um revved up again and I've I've had a lot of help <laughs> from folks like Zachary, my son, our son. Um but yeah, this was a tough day because as as I described, it literally did feel like a roller coaster ride, like one minute you know, bustling and hustling and everyone's like cleaning and it's like this beautiful place and there's all this energy and everyone's smiling and chatting and saying hello. And I instantly noticed the change in energy when I I would literally go down to the cafeteria with my very first waking moment to get coffee or tea because once Alexis woke up, the day started, doctors and nurses and therapists and equipment people and cleaners and people come in and out of that room like mad and I couldn't leave her side. So I always tried to sneak down. And even in my stupor of being hospital, you know, fatigue, having hospital fatigue, I could sense the change in energy. So there was just like this big crescendo of like energy and hope and, and it's, you know, especially cleaning. And then 10 minutes later, they, they, that entourage just kind of floated out the door and onto the next. And it literally, I literally did feel like the roller coaster had ended and I'd plummeted into the ground <laughs> because that is the dichotomy of the experience. In one moment, I don't know, maybe I thought the vice president could do something magical, but after he left, I realized not only could he not do anything magical, nobody could. <laughs> so, of course, I'm always looking. For, I was looking for God to do something magical too. And maybe God did do something magical and I am still learning to recognize what that is. But from a practical perspective, I went from, you know, being a little bright eyed and a little bit naive as a young woman at 27 to someone who knows that even our children can die. So um, I don't know. I just, I guess I share this experience because. We want to believe that there's hope and there there has to be hope. But also, um, I know when Alexis died, I felt very singled out. I felt very victimized. And the truth is, I wasn't victimized at all. Children die every day. And I'm not saying that we should get used to it. But I am saying that I'm not, uh, I was not targeted for particular grief. I I don't feel singled out as I used to feel very kind of victimized around my kids, especially my two kids that died. But with a little perspective, and certainly in the two and a half decades that have passed since Alexis died and 20 or so since Emmanuel died, you know, I've met enough parents who have lost their kids to know that this wasn't something, you know, that only I have experienced. But in that moment, it was almost like Al Gore came in with a Superman cape on and left with, I don't know what, a raincoat. Um, it was pretty devastating because I felt pretty helpless. But anyway, I share the post, not to share the devastation, but just to recognize that, you know, we do expect people to save the day and that can't always happen. And again, this is a big focus of mine now, but what I'm really trying to create in forging my own healing path is not a world where I'm not disappointed, but I want to create a foundation for a world where when I am disappointed, I can handle it because that's really a worthy 
target when we're thinking about having a quality of life after someone really important to us dies. So I hope you can take some, not so much inspiration from this particular post, but just recognizing this dynamic and how many times, even, you know, just in a regular day, how often are we relying sometimes detrimentally on the ability of someone else to step in and and help us have a better experience. And if that can happen, you know, fantastic, but that does not always happen. And we want to be really careful about the expectations and the demands that we're placing on people with regard to how reasonable they actually are for that particular person. Um, And we want to be grateful when support does show up. So I was grateful that day. We have some beautiful photographs, actually, of Al Gore and Alexis and us together and signing that little book. Um, And yeah, let's not, let's try to just, you know, appreciate those moments when they happen, but let's try not to expect too much because we will ultimately (laughs) find out that we are all human and therefore have limitations. So thank you for checking out this episode of The Healing Path. And as always, if you have any feedback, um, love to hear about it at lisamcfarland.com. You can find this original post from July 26th of 2021 just by searching the blog, which again is at lisamcfarland.com. And yeah, love to hear, you know, an experience of your own where maybe you thought help was on the way or maybe an unsuspecting hero showed up when you thought there was no chance. So that's especially what we would be inspired to hear about. So until next time, let's stay present, stay grateful, and stay healing. And as always, thank you so much for listening.